What's up?
No, and now, now my cousin, his name's David. He's incredible. He loves Jesus. He's great. But at this time, it was a great influence. And uh, so we decided we had some black cats. And so we went into the backyard, and I realized it seems like every story I tell has to do with fireworks, which is so ironic. Because um, I don't really shoot them off that often. But so we go in our backyard, and we're like, okay, you know, but instead of like, you know, just lighting one at a time, we wanted to wrap all the, you know, the fuses up so we could light a bunch of them off. So we do it, you know, because we want a big bang, and I'm, I'm kind of just observing, because I'm pretty young at this age. But uh, they, they pop it off, and immediately our, our neighbor that lives behind us comes out, and she's like peeking through the, the wood picket fence. She's like, what's going on? And we see her, and we immediately like scurry, and we like go and hide behind the tree. I don't really know why, because obviously she saw us. But <laughs> we could have just went and talked to her and been like, sorry. But we didn't, and she went into the house, and then we just like ran inside the house. So we like ran into our house, and we just were like, whoa, that was scary. You know, like, you know, little kids. And we're just like, you know, 30 minutes later, we're probably kind of forgotten about it. And we hear a knock at the door. My brother peers open the window and looks and goes, it's a cop. And me, little scared cop me, was like, what? <laughs> and I just like book it to my parents' room, which is like the last room in the house, and I hide under my parents' bed. <laughs> and uh, I just stayed under there until my brother, I could hear them like talking, but I was like, I'm not getting out of here. Didn't want to go to jail, you know? Uh, that's right. But nothing happened. You know, the cop was like, actually the cop I think was trying to really scare my brother and my cousin, so they were like, where's the gun? And they're like, gun? I'm just shooting fireworks. And he's like, don't do it anymore. So, but nothing happened. But, uh, but you know, this kind of a funny story of my fear as a childhood of cops, but as we get older, we still struggle with things like fear, right? And, we, and sometimes we get anxious about things that are happening or, or things that we don't know is gonna happen, like the unknown can be something that is often, you can be fearful or anxious about. Um, so, and, and you know, you guys are in a stage of life where you're going to college, and, and there's, there's so much that can, you, you guys can do in your life, you know. But sometimes you can, get a little, you can get a little anxious or fearful about your future, right? Or maybe you're like, well, I make enough money when I get out of college to pay my student loans. Because I know that one. And, uh, or like another one is, is this person that I'm dating right now, is, is this potentially the one that maybe I should marry? Right, there's, there's these things, and, and oftentimes, most of the like concerns are natural desires. They're they're not they're not wrong to to want to have money and you know food and water and all those things. Those things are important, right? But if we allow these concerns to kind of control ourselves, that's when we start to get bent out of shape, right? So let's see what Jesus had to say about this. So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. 
So this is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Matthew is the first gospel in the first book of the New Testament. We're going to read in chapter 6, starting in verse 31. We have the verse here. Okay. And it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So being fearful and anxious about tomorrow is what the Gentiles do, is what Jesus said. And, and what he means by saying the Gentiles, what he mean, what he's saying is, these are the people that are not in relationship with God. And, and, but people that are in relationship with God, people that are of the kingdom, what they ought to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to them. And this is not an easy thing that, that is said by Jesus. So tonight I want us to focus on this and try to understand what Jesus is trying to say, and how can we practically live this out in our life? So we're going to talk about the weapons that we have in the kingdom. You see, we, as people of the kingdom, we fight with our ideas, and we fight with our attitudes. We fight with our ideas, and we fight with our attitudes. And there are a lot of ideas and attitudes that we should have as followers of Jesus and we could look at a ton of them, but tonight I just want to look at a couple of them. And these are, these are convictions that lay the foundation for which the house can be built on. Does that make sense? So what I want us to do first, before we start looking at that, is I want to look at a story of Jesus. It's one of his miracles. Whether I'm sure everyone here has probably heard it or heard of it, even if they haven't read it, but that's this, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? He fed the multitudes. It's a really interesting thing I, I learned this week about this, is this is the only miracle outside of the resurrection, which is obviously a miracle, it is recorded in all of the four Gospels. So that's pretty cool. I don't really know the significance of that, but it's interesting. Uh, so... Let's walk through the story. So just before Jesus had, had fed the 5,000, what he did was he had sent out his 12 disciples two by two going to nearby villages, and they were to preach repentance, they were to cast out demons, and they were to heal the sick. And so after they had done that for a time, Jesus wanted them to return, say, come back together, and he, what he wanted to do was he wanted to get together. It says that he wanted them to all give a report. So basically there's six, you know, there's 12 of them, two by two. There's six groups. He wanted them to come back, and he wanted them to just kind of tell what had happened. But Jesus and the disciples were with There was a bunch of people around him. So they decided they would try. They would get into a boat, and they would push back, push out into shore on the lake, the uh, Sea of Galilee, 
And then they would go to another place just to try to escape the crowd. Uh, they just, they wanted to spend some time together. They wanted to have a small group. You know what I'm saying? Like what we do, right? They wanted to have a meal together and they just wanted to share about what had happened. Uh, it, says, it says that they had no leisure even to eat when they were with the multitudes. That it was so demanding that they didn't even have time to eat. So they were just trying to get away from the crowd. But as they made it back to the shore on the other side, uh, there was already a multitude of people waiting for them. And it's really interesting to see how Jesus responded to this multitude. So let's read in Mark 6, 34. It says, And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he was filled with anger and wanted to drive them away. Right? No. It says that he was filled with compassion. Right? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You see, Jesus, wanting to break away from the crowd, comes back to shore, and there's a crowd again. And instead of getting angry, he has compassion on them. That word, it means like to have pity and sympathy for them. Like it, that word, in the original Hebrew, it's like, it's like a gut-wrenching feeling. And uh, so he had compassion on them and he began to teach them. And as the night began to come, so he's teaching, right, and, and it's getting late, and the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, we should send them away so they can go into the nearby town so that they can buy themselves something to eat because the people are hungry. And Jesus does something kind of funny. He says to the disciples, he goes, you give them something to eat. And they're like, uh, huh? They're kind of confused by it. So they're like, so should we go into town and buy some food and come back? <laughs> and, uh, and Jesus says, go and see how much food they have. So basically he said, go into the crowd and see how much food they have. And how much food did they have? Anybody? That's right. Every little fish fillet, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, sorry. I want you to eat a lot of carbs. <laughs> but a little fish fillet sandwich, right? No, they really had five loaves and two fishes. But if you just if you just want to imagine with me, you know that five loaves and two fishes, Jesus fed the multitudes. There's probably about a hundred people in this room, right? And we have this one little fish fillet sandwich. It feels as if all 100 of us could just, you know, all eat off this sandwich. And then we would have 12 basketfuls of this sandwich left over. Right? And Andrew, Evan, I don't know if you guys like these, but I mean, those guys could eat a whole village idiot pizza. So, I mean, them alone could probably eat about five or six of these things. If, if you're into these kind of things. <laughs> but I'm going to put it back. If it's, it's not super old, so if anybody wants these, you know, it's only a couple of hours. So, but, but Jesus fed the 5,000, right? And, and some theologians 
say that it was even more because some passages say that it was 5,000 men. So they didn't even count the children and the women. But even if that's not really true, 5,000 people with one Happy Meal, I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? That's a lot of food the Lord totally provided, right? And there's a lot of significance in the story, and there's a lot of different directions that we could go with it. But one thing that I, I want to go, the direction I do want to go with this is kind of with, with the disciples themselves. And this, I think Jesus was doing this and showing this to, obviously he had compassion and he wanted to do it, but it was also an opportunity to show the disciples that he is our provider, right? And then as you read on in the gospel, I think it's Matthew 16, uh, there's a story. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then there's another story where Jesus feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. And, and then so after those two things had happened, the disciples, they're on this little journey with Jesus, and they forget to bring the bread. And, you know, Peter's like, John, how could you forget the bread? And it's like, well, James said he was going to grab it, right? And they're like bickering back and forth because they have no bread. And Jesus turns around and he's like, do you not understand? Like, you guys don't get it. He's like, do you not remember when I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish? Or when I fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves? And how many basket fill, basketfuls of leftovers were there? There was 12 at the 5,000. I think there was seven in the, the 4,000. And basically he's telling them, you guys need to stop worrying about these things. There's so many, there's so much more pressing things that we can put our minds on. And you see, this happens in our lives. You see, we have real needs in our lives, right? You guys are all going through college. You know, most of y'all are like living that life. I was a college student. I understand you're like, got a couple hundred dollars in your bank account every month, and you're like, how do I make this work? You know what I'm talking about? And so some of y'all are like working your way through college. Some of y'all, you know, you're going to graduate, like hopefully all of y'all graduate, you need to find a job, you know? There's, there's real things that are, that are going to happen, and, and there's real needs that we have. And if we go back to the disciples, they were upset because they had forgotten the bread. And, and that is a real need, right? I mean, I get why they're upset. Like, we don't have any food. If we don't eat food, we're going to die, right? That's a legit concern. But when you're in the presence of Jesus and you're worrying about things like that, when you, when you have seen him provide before, there's, there's two ideas about, two wrong ideas about God that you have when you worry about these things. The first one is that God actually can't provide for me. Or the second one is that God won't provide for me. And I think most of us would immediately mix the first one. That God can't provide. Because we know that God can do it. If, you know, we believe that God created everything you know, with, with his own word. He spoke everything into existence. And we, we see over and over again in scripture where he has provided for his people. So, you know, we can, we can cut that one out quickly that he can't do it because we know that he probably can. But the second one is a lot harder. 
The question is, is will God actually provide for me? It's not that he can't, but will he do it for me? You see, I'm, I'm such a bad person, and I've done so many bad things, and I don't deserve God's love and mercy and provision. You see, when we have that mindset, we have a wrong idea about God. Somehow we, we've, we've thought that we're not worthy of God's, and, and the truth is, is you're not. But the Lord is merciful, merciful, and He is gracious, and He does provide. So, like I said, we fight with ideas and attitudes. And our ideas about God are the most important thing about us. So if we don't rest in, in who God is, like that He's a loving, good Father, and if we don't rest in His promises, then we can't help but be anxious and fearful. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise from God. It says all of these things will be added to you. Your provisions, your future, he will take care of you if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So the main thing here about this passage is that it's all about priorities, right? You see, if your need for money, or food, or possessions, or fame, or fortune, or your reputation, or you know whatever whatever it is that's really important to you, if that is higher than than God on your priorities, then you will be fearful. You will be anxious because these things will never satisfy. They will never be enough. Some of the most broken people in our country are the most wealthiest, most famous people. Our culture loves drama. You just walk through the, you know, the cash register, the checkout, the, you see the tabloids? Our culture is like, so-and-so cheated on so-and-so, right? And it's like, it's like our culture like lives for drama. But it's sad because these people are, are seeking fulfillment in other things, and they're never going to find it. The only way that we can find fulfillment is if we trust in Jesus. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we, uh, I think it's Philippians, it talks about how we receive the peace that passes all understanding. And, and once, once we are trusting in Jesus, we get to cast those cares of anxiousness and fear onto the Lord. Because the truth is, is that we all will have moments of fear. We all will get anxious about things. That It's not like we can't get rid of those things. Those things will be there. But what, we're, what we don't want to do is allow those things to, to take a hold, like to, to become like the driver of our car, if you will. We don't want those things to take over our life. We want to allow the Lord and, and, our, and our trust and our ideas about God to be at the center of our life. And, and so whenever those things come up, we can take those to the Lord, and He'll bear those with us. Does that make sense? So here's, here's one little like nugget about how to deal with these things. Is the first thing is that we must be honest. 
We must be honest with ourselves. We must be honest with those around us that we trust. And we must be honest with God. You see, we, we will have these fearful moments. We'll have these times where we, we feel anxious. But we must take those to the Lord and we must be honest with those around us to help bear this, this burden with us. And, and you see, when we're honest and we're not hiding under like a fake facade, we're not wearing a mask, but we're like really who we say that we are, uh, that's, that's really like being vulnerable and being humble. Like when you when you share stuff, I don't. It's it. I want to say it's like humiliating, not in the sense of like negative, but it's it's humbling to share that stuff because you're humbling yourself. First Peter five five it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God opposes the proud, and when you when you're not being honest about what's going on in your life you're putting on a facade. You, you're putting on a, a fake version of yourself. And really it's because you have an insecurity in your life that you're unwilling to, to share. And, and really what it is, it's just pride of, of you know, your perception of, or others' perceptions of you. So you must humble yourself and take it to the Lord. Here's another great reminder about the Lord. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every day. That's really, really cool. That's really sweet. Because, you know, we can rest in that. And today, maybe you, you're like, man, I've, I've really let fear and anxiety take a hold of my life. But you can rest in the fact that you're going to go to sleep tonight, and tomorrow morning you're going to wake up, and the Lord's mercies are fresh and new for this day. Amen. And you just take it day by day. So Matthew 6, 34, we already read it. It says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This verse says, it, it doesn't say that we're not going to have trouble, right? It says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like, we have things that we got to deal with today, and we don't need to be worried about things tomorrow, right? Here's, I was trying to think of an example of how to explain this, and I think I have an idea, or a good, good example. So you guys have all probably seen my one-year-old daughter, right? Scott? She's a cute little girl. Um, so, Bethany and I, as parents, we must focus and, re and rejoice in the season that we are currently in with Scout. Like, we, we know that, like, right now, I'm like, I want to show her love, I want to show her attention. You know, we need to create an environment for her to continue to develop, which is incredibly rapid right now. She's developing like crazy. Um, but, you know, we got to do all the things that we can do to help her continue to develop and to continue to grow into being a little toddler, right? But if I start, you know, Bethany and I, like, if we're hanging out and I'm like, start thinking, I'm like, how are we going to prevent her 
into like getting into the wrong crowd when she's in middle school when everybody's a punk. You know, or like how am I gonna treat her or teach her to to pick a good man to marry? You know, like like those are things that are so far in the future that they're they're almost useless to think about and to worry about today. Does that make sense? Like I need to I need to focus on the stuff that's going on today and not get too carried away about the things that are going to happen because those things are going to happen. But there's no sense in getting worked up about it now because I'll have to deal with it then too, right? So our ideas about God, like I said earlier, are the most important thing about us. So we must trust, or here's, here's what my idea about God, is that I must trust that He is good that he loves me, and that he'll provide for me. And I, I want all you guys to believe that as well. You see, because if we believe that, then we can allow trust and our faith in, in who he is to remain at the center or, or at, in the driver's seat of the car and not let all these other things get in the way. So, like I said, we fight with ideas and we fight with attitudes. So what's an attitude that we should have that goes along with what we're talking about? And that, that is the attitude of contentment. You see, God will provide. He will provide for us. He, he may provide you with a Corolla, not a Corvette, but you have to be content with that, right? We have a Corolla. It's a good car, right? You know? I don't need a that <laughs> Okay, we're going to read 1 Timothy 6, 8-10. It's on the screen. But if we have food and clothing, will these, with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. It may seem senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I want to clarify that there's nothing wrong with owning a Corvette, right? And there's nothing wrong with having money and having wealth. But that it is wrong to love money, right? The love, if, if money is that thing that is top priority, that's out, of, that's out of place, right? And con contentment is when we are okay with what we have. And we're not desiring to always have more and more and more. Let's read another passage. And this one, you guys have probably all heard. And uh, it's probably one of the misquoted scripture in the Bible. It's Philippians 4, 10 through 13. 13. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Basically, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and basically the church of Philippi sent him some money. And currently, right now, Paul is in prison. This is called like the, the epistle where Paul is talking about rejoicing, and he's writing all this while in chains in prison, which is very ironic, very uh, makes Paul like a, 
you're like, wow, he's a, he's a man of God. Because he's writing about contentment, and he's writing about rejoicing while he's in prison. Let's continue. Verse 11, it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the verse that everybody loves. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? It's like the athlete verse. You know, do some squats. I can do all things. <laughs> right? So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that we can literally fly, right? No. <laughs> He's not. What he is saying, what Paul is saying here is that he can face any situation because he has, and here's the key word, he has learned the attitude of contentment. You see, contentment is not a disposition that some people have and others don't. It is a choice. And we must choose to be content. It doesn't matter if you grew up wealthy or you grew up poor. You can be greedy if you're above. Or you, you, know, you, you can desire to have more. It, it doesn't really matter your, your disposition, if that makes sense. You know? So Jesus, Jesus will take care of us. And he'll take care of our needs. But that also doesn't mean that we're supposed to sit on the bus and do nothing, right? And be like, all right, Lord, you said you will provide, and I'm here. I'm ready, right? We need to work hard. And all of y'all are going to graduate. You all are going to go get a good job. And, and I challenge you right now to be the best employee that you can be for your job. Because everything that you do is a testimony of who you serve, right? And if you serve Jesus, then you ought to work hard for your employer because you want to serve the Lord well. If you're lazy, then why would your coworker who's a non-believer be like, man, I want to follow that guy's God because he doesn't do anything at work, right? So work hard for your employer. If you've got a job now, work hard. Work hard for Jesus, even if they're kind of jerks. Just do it. Serve, serve people well, and that will, that will really speak volumes to people. So, Jesus wants us to do the best with what we have, where we're at. Right? And he will honor your effort, he will honor your try, and he will provide for you. But we also must learn the attitude of contentment. Right? You see, and, and the attitude of contentment is so foreign to this world. Most people want more and more and more. But we should be people who are content with what we have. Anybody in here know what happened this week? Since we're talking about money? Lottery. That's right. $1.6 billion ticket. Tell her, Andrew was at my house yesterday and we're like, what would we do? I didn't even buy tickets, so I'm like, what's the point of thinking about it, right? <laughs> it's just going to make me want more. <laughs> but we've all thought this, right? We're all like, what would I have done if I had all that money? You know, the thing is, is contentment, generosity, 
all these things, these are all attitudes, right? And those things don't change when circumstances or the situation changes. I bet the person that won that lottery ticket, if they're really greedy, I bet they're going to still be really greedy with that money. If they're, hopefully, Lord willing, if they're really generous, they're going to be extraordinarily generous with that money, right? These, these attitudes are not, they don't change once the circumstance changes, right? Like, people are like, oh, like, I'm poor right now, so I need to hold on to everything that I have. But when I get more money, then I'll start to be generous. You know, or like I'm not content right now because my living situation is not great. But once I get here, then I'll be content. But it doesn't work that way. Because if you if you can't learn to be generous or you can't learn to be content in this situation, in this time of your life, when you get here, you're going to be in the same situation. So it's it's an it's an attitude. It's a choice that we make. It's it's not situational. It's not circumstantial. Does that make sense? So, as we close out the service, the band's going to come up. And I just want to remind us all again that it's all about priorities. You see, we don't seek God so that we can be provided for. Right? Those things, like, provision really matters. Food, money, clothing, those things really matter. Like, we need those things. But the kingdom of God matters more. You see, the end goal is not to be provided for, or it's, it's, the end goal is not so that we could seek the provision of God. The end goal is that we would just seek God and Him alone, because He's worthy of it all. So we must have a right idea about God, right? And when we really believe and live out that God, the God of all, is our loving, our creating, and our sustaining Father, and when we live under this idea that Jesus is our Lord, and when we understand the attitude of contentment, that is, that is when we can walk closer with the Lord and where we can take our cares, we can take our fears, we can take our anxieties, and we can, we can give those to Him. And, and in honesty and humility, give those to the Lord and ask the Lord to help walk us, walk through this with us. And He is faithful <coughs> to bear that with us. Because He is a good, loving, generous Father. So, tonight I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're just going to sing a couple songs. And I would just challenge you guys to... to to think about your idea of God. What is your idea of God? And see if it needs retooling, reshaping, and uh, if, you know, yeah, whatever the Lord is putting on your heart. So, I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Thank you for, for your mercies, Lord, for they're new every day, Jesus. Lord, I pray that tonight as we close out, Lord, that we would just put our minds on you, Lord, and that we would, we would understand that our ideas about you 
and the attitudes that we have and that we choose to have, Lord, really do impact the world around us, Lord. And that we would, we would understand that these are real weapons that we can use for your kingdom, Lord, and the advancement of your kingdom here on this campus and in this city and the world around us, Lord Jesus. So we love you, Lord. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just come, Lord, and that it would just, just convict our hearts, Lord Jesus, of anything. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your wonderful name.